vices. He did not smoke or chew tobacco or take snuff. He did not swear or use slang or rude or coarse or indelicate language, or make puns or tell anecdotes or laugh intemperately, or raise his voice above the moderate pitch enjoined by the canons of good form. When he gave an order, his manner modified it into a request. After dinner, he and his officers joined the ladies and gentlemen in the ladies' saloon and shared in the singing and piano playing and helped turn the music. He had a sweet and sympathetic tenor voice and used it with taste and effect. After the music, he played whist there, always with the same partner and opponents, until the ladies' bedtime. The electric lights burned there as late as the ladies and their friends might desire, but they were not allowed to burn in the smoking-room after eleven. There were many laws on the ship's statute book, of course, but so far as I could see, this and one other were the only ones that were rigidly enforced. The captain explained that he enforced this one because his own cabin adjoined the smoking-room, and the smell of tobacco smoke made him sick. I did not see how our smoke could reach him, for the smoking-room and his cabin were on the upper deck, targets for all the winds that blew, and besides there was no crack of communication between them, no opening of any sort in the solid intervening bulkhead. Still, to a delicate stomach, even imaginary smoke can convey damage." The captain, with his gentle nature, his polish, his sweetness, his moral and verbal purity, seemed pathetically out of place in his rude and autocratic vocation. It seemed another instance of the irony of fate. He was going home under a cloud. The passengers knew about his trouble and were sorry for him. Approaching Vancouver through a narrow and difficult passage densely befogged with smoke from the forest fires, he had had the ill luck to lose his bearings and get his ship on the rocks. A matter like this would rank merely as an error with you and me. It ranks as a crime with the directors of steamship companies. The captain had been tried by the Admiralty Court at Vancouver, and its verdict had acquitted him of blame. But that was insufficient comfort. A sterner court would examine the case in Sydney, the court of directors, the lords of a company in whose ships the captain had served as mate a number of years. This was his first voyage as a captain. The officers of our ship were hearty and companionable young men, and they entered into the general amusement and helped the passengers pass the time. Voyages in the Pacific and Indian Oceans are but pleasure excursions for all hands. Our purser was a young Scotchman who was equipped with a grit that was remarkable. He was an invalid and looked it as far as his body was concerned, but illness could not subdue his spirit. He was full of life and had a gay and capable tongue. To all appearances, he was a sick man without being aware of it, for he did not talk about his ailments, and his bearing and conduct were those of a person in robust health. Yet he was the prey, at intervals, of ghastly sieges of pain in his heart. These lasted many hours, and while the attack continued, he could neither sit nor lie. In one instance he stood on his feet twenty-four hours fighting for his life with these sharp agonies, and yet was as full of life and cheer and activity the next day as if nothing had happened." The brightest passenger in the ship, and the most interesting and felicitous talker, was a young Canadian who was not able to let the whiskey bottle alone. 
He was of a rich and powerful family, and could have had a distinguished career and abundance of effective help toward it if he could have conquered his appetite for drink. But he could not do it. So his great equipment of talent was of no use to him. He had often taken the pledge to drink no more, and was a good example of what that sort of unwisdom can do for a man, for a man with anything short of an iron will. The system is wrong in two ways. It does not strike at the root of the trouble for one thing, and to make a pledge of any kind is to declare war against nature, for a pledge is a chain that is always clanking and reminding the wearer of it that he is not a free man. I have said that the system does not strike at the root of the trouble, and I venture to repeat that. The root is not the drinking, but the desire to drink. These are very different things. The one merely requires will and a great deal of...